Welcome to A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library Podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name's Jeff. I'm joined by Damon. Hi. And I'm joined by Everett. Hello. We're here to talk about games. Board games specifically. Woohoo! You know, I wanted to start off uh, really quickly with with this. Can we just talk like about what do we think has 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 allowed board games to have staying power? I'm coming to at this from like a cynic who is now saying that we live in an age of phones where we have our candy crushes and so much to distract us. But what keeps us coming back to the table, literally to the table? What gives board games their staying power? I mean, they've been around for 2000 years, but. Personally on individual scale or as a society? Well, you could go personal. I mean, the podcast is really the time for armchair philosophizing, but how about personal? What's kept them staying power for you two? That's good. You don't want to speak with authority for society. You can just. <laughs> well, I just think there's, there's a long history of board games. Yeah. So I think that does lend to its staying power, but individually it's social. And it's, it allows, you know, folks to engage at whatever level they're able to. Energy level, you know, social level, however they're... And because there's so many different types, you might play some games with some friends and some games with others. And that's just very versatile. I really like how it brings people together. And it's a really good way of connecting with other people. I kind of like to think of myself as... What's that book? Where... Oh my goodness, the second T.J. Klune book. The Under the Whispering Door? Yes, that one. That's the one. We even read it for book club. Uh, where the one of the main characters has the ability to give the perfect tea to each person. Like their perfect ideal tea. I like to try doing that with board games. I like to get to know somebody, find out their likes or dislikes, what kind of stuff they're into. Because maybe they're going to be into lighter party games. Maybe they're going to be into the heavy four-hour-long strategy games. And finding that great fit for them is so much fun for me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, this is such this is so candid and tangential. But the the most trouble I have, and I'm I'm really putting my friends on blast. But the most trouble I have with my friends who are now in their old upper thirties and 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 above is it's hard for me to sell games on them because often. We're hanging out on the weekend, the sun is set, and now they are tired, and now they are sleepy, and they are reserved to, oh, just put a movie on, and it kills me every time. Because they uh, maybe feel daunted about having to learn a new game, but in its own way, the learning part is also fun, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I I mean, I'm kind of a nerd. I read board game rule books in my free time for fun. Awesome. I'm definitely out of the ordinary in doing so. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really enjoy learning and teaching games, and I'm definitely very fortunate. I have some dear close friends that we have regularly game nights with um, almost every weekend. So, Everett, uh, head of youth services, can you remember whether or not at memory test we had board games before you arrived here? And then also, Damon, the same. I'm assuming libraries that you'd previously been at had board games. This has become a thing where libraries are circulating board games. I think if we went back to 2019, there was the beginning of puzzles here, but not for kids yet. So now we have a kid's puzzle and game collection Mm -hmm. kind of geared to just kid age level stuff as well as adults Mm -hmm. having um, and and older kids uh, for like a family game night. Definitely at other libraries. You know, I think I think that trend started like 2017 because there's a lot of mechanics that go into like okay, this puzzle has a thousand pieces and we're going to check it out to our families 
And is it going to come back with a thousand pieces? How do we how do we manage it if it doesn't? So right. it's not quite, you know, we most books come back with all their pages. Sure. <laughs> so we don't have to count them. We know they're there. They're bound. Um, but the pieces involved in puzzles and board games are not the same. So I think libraries have been finding the best way to manage that yeah. so that we can have, you know, quality puzzles and games available. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say of the four libraries I have worked at in my life, two of them, including Ferndale, have board games. Two of them did not. Mm -hmm. uh, for one of them, it was merely a staffing thing. You really need to have the uh, the ability to have staff on hand to be able to check them. Like Everett's saying, it is a much larger process to check in a board game than just scanning a book. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot. You know, there's a lot of research that goes in just like how the librarians here are selecting books, mm -hmm. you know, look at reviews and do research to pick quality materials. The same level goes into board games. I love it. And puzzles. So, I mean, not everyone might know that there are, you know, review sites and YouTube channels right. of that are just all about reviewing these games. Right. And that's the length that our staff go to to make sure that we're getting things that would be good for our community, that our community would want to check out. Right. It's not just as simple as, that one sounds cool. Exactly. It might start there, though. I also wanted to go around and just ask, like, what games you have played recently, or what was the most recent game that really blew your mind, that you had a blast with? I can definitely start with this. I recently played my longtime favorite game. Uh, it is called Grand Austria Hotel. And in it, you are running a hotel. Mm -hmm. You are opening up new rooms to fit people inside it. And you're trying to convince them to come stay at your hotel by offering them food in your cafe. So it's <laughs> kind of engine building. You are getting staff members that have different abilities that you can activate. Um, there's a really cool drafting dice action where the more dice of a number that get rolled, the more powerful that action is, which is super cool. And I've never seen anything like it. And it's just, it's it's a blast. How many players? It's uh, one to four. It's just, okay. There is a solo mode as well. Okay. That's awesome. Yep. Just a whole thing. You can do solo games, which we love. Yeah, I'm not a big solo gamer myself, yeah. but more and more board games these days, especially the strategy ones, tend to have solo modes for people that, you know, I mean, I, I really think the pandemic made a, a difference in that. Mm -hmm. Solo gaming already existed prior to that, but yeah. more and more games nowadays are very conscious of trying to provide that. Mm-hmm. How about you, Everett? I recently played something called Tinder Blocks. It's a small tin game, so like about the size, a little bigger than a deck of cards box mm -hmm. with cards that are even smaller inside <laughs> with pieces that represent logs and orange, oh, well, red and yellow bits of fire. And it comes with some very strategically built plastic tweezers that are meant to make it very hard for you to stack these into you're basically it's almost like reverse engineered jenga instead you're building this tower instead of slowly taking it down and it is i think two to six players okay. and it's it's just hilarious because you know those fine motor skills <laughs> they wax and wane maybe <laughs> and um <laughs> And they, you know, they, they, they engineered this game to, to look easy, but it's actually quite hard. I will say it didn't came with, come with like a two-player variant, which mm -hmm. I wish it had, so mm -hmm. I made one up. Nice. Um, because otherwise you very easily like have a winner sure. within just a couple back and forth. 
So it's kind of like best two out of three. You know, whoever whoever gets three strikes first, I guess, more like that. And it's really fun. And it could be, you know, it's a game that it's very mobile. Like mm-hmm. you can take that anywhere mm-hmm. to a friend's house or, you know, you're out to eat. That's more and more common that both restaurants are sort of trying to get people to come do games or are just open to people bringing games with them. So that would be an easy one to do. You don't need a lot of table space. And it's like, you know, you were saying friends may not want to learn new games, like all the rules. (laughs) It's, It's very simple. Perfect. Perfect. And so I've checked out three games from the library recently that were very easy to learn for my for my old tired friends. Uh, one of them was called Smartass. One of them was called uh, Exploding Kittens. And the other was called Charty Party. Now, all three of these games are really trivia-centric and card-based, so kind of quick and easy to learn. So we had a good time with all three of them. But also wanted to put a quick plug in for the Board Game Club, which is here at the library that Damon founded. And so Damon, does that also go into it? Like the whole explaining of rules? Is that, do you have to choose games based on that? Tell us about that club and yeah, absolutely. How you run it. Yeah, so there is no experience required to come to Board Game Club. Uh, to clarify, this is for middle schoolers. It is uh, sixth through eighth grade. Um, we meet on the second Thursday of each month. So our next month, or our next uh, board game night will be on June 8th. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I've currently got a good consistent group of five middle schoolers that come That's and awesome. would love to continue to grow that. Awesome. So if you are a middle schooler listening or a parent of a middle schooler that loves games or is curious about trying out games, please sign up. You can go to fadl.org slash msbg, standing for middle school board games, um, and you sign up for that. So it's a lot of fun. I usually try to have a variety of games with me that I'm ready to teach the kids, Mm -hmm. and just we have a blast. That's great. Uh, Monopoly, Clue, Sorry, uh, these are on, I guess, may or may not be on the game board or the board game Mount Rushmore. Uh, We all play them as children. Uh, Are there... Games that you remember discovering uh, sometime in your youth that really turned you on, uh, turned you on to board games that, that really uh, solidified a lifelong love of board game playing. Some like early favorite games. Well, I actually don't think my childhood le- turned me into a board game loving person. Sure. That came later in life. Yeah, for and me, I-, I-, I loved it as a child and fell away from it and then came back to it. Yeah, and you I- know. On a previous sort of gaming-related podcast, uh, I mentioned that my family was a card-playing family. So there were a couple, like, um, games that we might have. But I think mostly it was card games. And I know I mentioned, oh, my goodness, I will not try to explain that game again. But it's basically a card game that was passed down in my family that I've literally never met anybody beyond someone on a reddit thread that knew what i was talking about um so (laughs) i'm very curious everett what is the name of this game oh oh my goodness no the name is oh Oh, it's called oh my goodness well that's the g rated name i (laughs) that we were taught because we were kids and ah gotcha okay so so yeah but i think that honestly i did i did solo gaming as a kid so i was really into things like set or sequence i um and then i mean i sort of branched out to like othello yeah Uh, i think i started off into really a 
more cerebral, strategic kind of gaming interest. And then I became a young adult and that changed. Yeah. And I, right. I like the co-op games. I like a little bit of goofiness. And uh, yeah, what about you, David? Yeah, I definitely did play a lot of more board games growing up. My family had a like whole closet space that was all board games. But I am the youngest of four, and so sometimes convincing my older siblings to play with me was always a challenge. My parents were often willing to play, but I I always had that desire. So some of the most common ones we played as a kid, uh, Yahtzee a lot, like just classic Yahtzee. We had this game called Careers, which is kind of similar to a Monopoly. It's a roll and move where you roll a die to move around a board, but you are going to college and going down different career tracks. And there's a little bit more uh, control over your movement rather than just the dice. You have cards of certain values to go to certain spaces, which is cool. I was just going to say, you've mentioned strategy games. I've said uh, exploding kittens, card games, roll and move. We do want to get into types of games. And Damon, you're especially going to be ready I'm to do that. I am so ready for this, Jeff. I am so ready for this. So there are... If, if I were to go through everything, it would take forever. There are dozens of genres of games, and sometimes games will be a part of multiple genres just to how the nature of how games are. I did jot down 13 of my favorites to quickly go through and just talk about how they worked what? because I think there's this idea out there for a lot of people that board games are... Like the thing you think of when you think of a board game is going to be Monopoly or Clue or Sorry or Shoots and Ladders and so on and so forth. And those games have their time and place and their merit. And that is wonderful. But the wide variety of how games have developed over time and especially now, I mean, we are in a board game renaissance. There is so much awesome, wonderful stuff coming out. That if you limit yourself to, to just the classics, mm -hmm. you're missing out on so much opportunity. Mm -hmm. So before going into the different yeah. types of board games, I want to couple, talk about a couple of terms within the board gaming community. Because there is some problematic stuff. Uh, you definitely meet board gamers that have a bit of... They can be a bit full of themselves sometimes, and I definitely try to shy away from that. So two giant overarching category of games, you've got Euro-style games, which I'll talk about in a second, and the other category known as Ameritrash. Now, I, I detest that term. I think it's awful. I think there are many games within that genre that are fantastic games. But if you talk to some really heavy board gamers, those are terms you're going to be hearing thrown around. Mm. So Ameritrash tends to be highly thematic games, games about like different TV shows or movies or monsters or, you know, big, big themes. There's usually a lot of luck involved, usually often involving dice. There's a lot of screw your fellow player over actions in these sorts of games. Um, they tend to be big monsters beating each other up, other franchises and so on and so forth. Where a Euro style game is tending to be more highly strategic games where... In the most Euro of the Euro games, it almost feels like you are playing solitaire with other people mm -hmm. because the actions you are doing, the things you are doing on your turn are not affecting how other people are playing mm -hmm. with the exception of you might get a card before somebody takes that card or you might get a spot on the board before a, another player gets there. There's not so much of in your face sort of stuff going on with that. Most of what I tend to play tends to be this Euro style. But again, I play definitely across the field in both of them, and they're both 
There, there's lots of games in both of them that are fantastic. Fascinating. The word competition just came into my head because the way you're describing that Euro game, which is completely new to me, it, it in a way you're not exactly competing in a, in a traditional sense. Like, it's fascinating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's such wide variety in what like you're within doing your the Euro own game. Thing? Yeah. That's so those are two kind of overarching categories, but then going through different genres within both of them, really, we've got, I already mentioned roll and moves. So this is, you roll a die and you move spaces. Sometimes it's a little bit different, like, oh, in trouble, instead of rolling a die, you're popping the die in the middle. Or in sorry, you're drawing a card and it'll say the number that you move. But the idea is there's a lot of randomness involved. That's going to be games like Monopoly, The Game of Life, which we have in our collection. Uh, Shoots and Ladders, we also have in our collection here. But there are more modern uh, board games out there as well that use this mechanic, such as Formula D, where you are playing as race cars, um, changing your gears and going around a racetrack. And it's a cool implementation of it. It's great. Uh, We also have abstract games. So those are games that tend to, even if they have a theme, the theme is completely irrelevant. If you were to take the theme away, the game would be exactly the same. Um, Oftentimes, these are tile-laying games. So... Uh, like chess would be the perfect example of a uh, abstract game because okay. if you change the pieces to something else, you can still play chess with it. Oh, it's going to sure. be the same exact type of game. Uh, modern games, we have the game called Azul, which is you are building um, like a a floor with different tile patterns mm-hmm. on it. Um, the game Calico, where you are building a quilt and trying to attract cats and get buttons on that quilt. But again, you take the theme away, you're playing pattern tiles next to each other. It's kind of cool. I've seen variations of that, and it might be Ameritrash, but you know there are uh, Star Wars Trivial Pursuit or uh, Downton Abbey Clue. You know, is that that's maybe apples and oranges, but you're taking away. Don't worry, folks. It, it, it's I'm, stripping, I'm it's stripping away. Yeah, I, <laughs> totally, totally. Um, I will say that both Azul and Calico that I just mentioned are in our collection here. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to point out when we have them because yeah. a lot of these games we do have at our library. We have an excellent purchaser for games here who takes all sorts of suggestions as well. So if you ever have any games you want to see in the collection, please let the, let somebody on staff know and we can pass that message along. And if we have the budget for it, we'll see about that. Yeah. Uh, There are area control games. So those are games where you are trying to take up as much space on the board as possible. Oftentimes these are like war themed. So the classic game of Risk is this exactly. You are trying to get your army to take over the entire world. I played a more modern game. It's called Battle Sheep. And you've got a pile of sheep. It starts with a pile of 10 sheep. And then you divide it in half and put the sheep uh, in one direction. And you're trying to, like, block people off from... It kind of feels like that old computer game, Jazz Ball. I don't know if you ever played that one. With a ball bouncing around, you've got to divide the screen into smaller and smaller spaces to keep the ball inside. It's great. Uh, So those are great area control games. Uh, One of my favorite styles of games are campaign games Mm -hmm. or legacy games. So those are games that have a story that after you finish the game, you play it again and continue right where you left off. So in some, there's a book that you're playing through and you just go to the next page and there's more that happens. In some, you're actually modifying the board or the cards themselves. So these ones we obviously can't own at the library because they get torn up on purpose in the game. I am currently playing through Betrayal Legacy. So it's Betrayal uh, at House on the Hill is a game that some of you may know about. It's You are uh, wandering through a haunted house and eventually somebody turns traitorous and you have to try to take them down. It's fantastic. But in the legacy version, you are playing through multiple generations of a family. 
And so each player that is playing is a different family unit. Mm -hmm. And if you survive one, you might be, oh, I was 16 in this game. Now we're on the next one. And now I am 42 years old. And it's great. It's it's so fantastic. These are kind of games where you said you can change the board. I, the hardest thing I ever had to do, Jeff, was playing my first legacy game when it told me to tear up a card. It was such a difficult thing as a board gamer to take a card and rip it in half. And I almost just put it aside. But I did it. I pushed it on through. And now that we're used to it, our group will fight over who gets to like destroy things. It's great. Uh, Pandemic Legacy is another one out there. There's actually multiple. They call them seasons of that. It's, it's all the same story. Um, and that's great. And you're like adding stickers to the board and tearing things off and punching holes in boxes to, to get new things out. You never really know what's next. It's super, super cool. Perhaps my favorite style of game is deck builders. Mm-hmm. And so those are games that you start with a small hand of cards, usually about 10. Um, and you are acquiring other cards throughout the game to add to your deck, to make your deck more powerful, eventually to be able to get victory points in the game. Um, the classic version of that is Dominion. That's from want to say 2008 or so when it first came out but i don't remember exactly um but there's different variations on this now one of my favorites it's called clank and you are building a deck while going through a dungeon and exploring and trying to find treasure very very cool amazing you're you're building it as you go is that similar to a campaign legacy in which you're kind of manipulating the board yes except that it's all self-contained as one time so when the game is over you just wrap everything up when you play next time you're starting with that same starting deck you always start with the same in this case, 10 cards. I wonder if Arkham Horror would fall into that a little bit because you aren't ripping up cards, but every time you play it, there's the game will instruct you to take... It's now turnover card number 16. And so you aren't necessarily using all of the cards, mm-hmm. but the game will kind of guide you as to when you get to reveal certain cards, which makes the game play f- kind of different each time you do it this is deck builder you called it deck building deck building yep. yeah yep and then whatever it's referring to is more like campaign style yeah, yeah exactly similar to deck builders a newer genre is bag building and it's the same idea you've got a bag of items that you're pulling out or tiles that you're pulling out that you're adding to that bag mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite new genres there's a great game out there called quacks of quedlinburg where you are a witch brewing a potion and you are buying new potion ingredients and it's got a bit of a uh, press your luck element to it with you keep pulling out but if you pull too many of the wrong ingredients your potion will explode and then you have to stop so if you stop before that then you get a higher reward but if you keep going maybe you'll get a little bit more before it explodes maybe it'll explode super fun but jump back to deck building what what is it about it you think you appreciate most or your favorite thing about it I love the wide variety in what you can do. Oftentimes in deck builders, there'll be a row of randomized cards. So you don't know what necessarily will come out. And so I really like trying to get to see what strategy is going to work this time. Like, oh, the board is arranged this way this time. Mm -hmm. So maybe I want to focus more on getting this action rather than this action. And or maybe I always play this way and I want to try out a brand new strategy this time and see how it goes. You never quite know what you're going to get. And it's like everybody's starting from the same place, and it's just so cool to see the different directions people take with it. Good for fans of Choose Your Own Adventure. Exactly. Yeah.
I've got a couple more. I'm almost through them. Oh, sure, but, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Everett mentioned, what was that game you were talking about in the small tin? Tinderbox. Yeah, Tinderbox. So that is a dexterity game. So it's literally a game involving physical skill. And so classic game would be Jenga. Um, but Tinderbox would be a more modern version of that. We have a game in our collection called Tokyo Highway where you are laying out, they basically are a popsicle stick and you're placing cars on them and you're making this really odd highway shaped configuration um, and trying not to get things to fall. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yep. Precision. Precision is key. Yeah. Oh yeah. Precision is definitely key in dexterity games. Um, we've got drafting games. So that is you are choosing from a set of options and then passing it to the next player. These are usually with cards, sometimes with dice. Um, so one that a lot of people play these days is called Sushi Go. And you literally are holding a hand of cards of adorable sushi with human faces on them, which sounds terrifying, <laughs> but it's so cute. The tofu card is so adorable. I cannot get over it. And it's happening simultaneously. So like everybody will start with eight cards. You choose one at the same time as everybody else, pass it to the next player, choose one from your new pile, pass it until there's no cards left. And then the different types of sushi will be worth different numbers of points. You play three rounds, then it's over. A whole other layer to all this is the artistry that we, I think we just have to note of appreciation for the artistry that goes into this. Oh yes. Be, oh, it, yeah. be it sushi or whatever else. Like There's the, a, a really nice attention to detail in these games. It's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. And we actually have Sushi Go here at the library. Great. Um, another one we have is Draftosaurus, where you are drafting little dinosaur pieces in your hand, and you're, like, hiding them in your hand and secretly taking one and passing it to the next player. And they're going in your dinosaur zoo. And different dinosaurs, like, you want to have two of the same type of dinosaurs in the love pen, because then they'll fall in love with each other. Or you want this other pen that has... Um, like all different types of dinosaurs in it because they're all going to be a community there. It's great. How does one win a game like that? What's what's the goal? What's the object? Different placements will get you different points. That's and um, by the end, you just add up your points. That's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, a couple more. We have engine building games. So it's where you start with very little and you are growing your resources into getting more resources or getting new actions and eventually converting that into victory points. I beautiful one out there it's called wingspan in our library collection oh i've seen this game it oh. is staggeringly beautiful it's so gorgeous so you have art. all these beautiful bird cards that you're playing on your mat different birds have different habitats by playing different birds in different places you're unlocking different actions which is your engine that you're building up you lay eggs on them like it is so so pretty and the coolest thing about wingspan there's expansions for them um, and they're continually coming out. So the original wingspan was one set of birds. Then they added the Europa expansion, which are strictly European birds. Then there's the Oceana expansion, which is Australian birds. And the most recent one was the the Asian expansion. I forget what it's called. Um, with brand new birds, and each one adds a small mechanic, but it's not hard to add it to the rest of it. That's something you see in video games too. Expansions. Can you just explain that for the listeners? How sure. That works. So oftentimes games will have like a base game where it's what you need to play the game. Mm -hmm. But then a year later, two years later, there might be an expansion release, which would be like in a card game, new cards added in with new powers or new abilities or a new mechanic being introduced in it or a two player mode or an expansion that adds the game was up to four players. Now you can play with five players mm -hmm. with an expansion, which is if I ever have that, I always instantly buy expansions that give to a fifth player 
my main board game group has five people. It works out very well to get that extra player. Right. Yeah. Uh, one last thing about Wingspan as yeah. a thing. If you ever play Wingspan, search your phone's app store for Wingsong. It's a free app. Um, some person developed it. And it basically, you take the app, it uh, give access to your camera on your phone, and then you scan the card, any of the cards in the game, and it will play the song the bird sings in real yes. life. It is super cool. There are some Easter eggs as well. Again, the Roadrunner card. You're gonna get some classic meet meet. Um, it's wonderful. Yeah. Looks like I have two more on here. We've got rolling right or flipping right, and so that is, um, you've got either a deck of cards or you've got some dice that you roll, and then everybody playing gets to choose from the pool of options, and they're gonna be writing things on their board. Mm -hmm. So, one of the ones I played a lot is called Welcome to, and you are designing a neighborhood. You're putting your houses in sequential order from lower to higher across the street. You're dividing them into subdivisions. And um, yeah, so each card will either have a number or an action and you take one of each and you put them on your board and it's really cool. And what are you writing down per se? So on this, you're writing down numbers in the houses. You're writing down um, fences between the houses. You are increasing the value of the stock market um, and you are putting pools behind some of the houses as well. So cool. Yeah. But a more classic roll and write, Yasti. I mean, Yasti is a classic roll and write. You're rolling dice up to three times, and then you're choosing a value to put it in, mm -hmm. which is exactly the heart behind what a roll and write is going to be. Uh, and then finally, we have worker placement games, which are games where you have a pool of workers, usually like four to six workers, mm -hmm. that there are spots on the board that they can visit. And by visiting those spots, you get to activate an action. Oftentimes, there'll be limited spaces on the board for each worker. So if I place a worker here, then Everett, sorry, I blocked you out. You have to go somewhere else with your worker. Um, so we've got Carcassonne in our collection, which is a great example of that. Playing tiles, building cities, placing farmers. Uh, more very new one, it's called Creature Comforts, which is one of my new favorite games. You are woodland creatures preparing for winter by making your home as cozy as possible. It is so beautiful. And yes, we have it here. You should definitely check it out. I'm so curious. What are the elements that would make it cozy? Are you in the game? Are you like getting a new armchair or a new Afghan? Or oh, yes. Oh, yes. And not only that, they play tea. off each other. So you can get the rocking chair, Jeff. But if you have the rocking chair and the quilt, they go together. So they get you more points that way. It's beautiful uh you could have the the uh ice skates but if you also have the cozy socks the ice skates they're worth more points uh you can have the mandolin and the flute to get more points what? i mean it's it's so beautiful uh, and the art in that game is just so cozy yeah. even if you don't want to check out the game if you see it on our board game shelf please mm -hmm. feel free open it up make sure you put everything back where it belongs after mm -hmm. but look at those cards they are beautiful there are board game cards as one of the cozy items, and they are actual uh, artistic renderings of other board games. So Wingspan is one of those cards. It's very cute. <laughs> I love it. Everdell is another one. Yeah. You know, we recently had uh, a very art tabletop RPG-centric game, and in that one, we kind of opened up by distinguishing between tabletop RPGs and traditional board games. But I'd love to just hear from you, Damon. Like, how would you, like, if anyone get, gets those muddled up in their heads, how do you distinguish them? There are going to be some exceptions to this, but for the most part, with tabletop RPGs, you and your fellow players are participating in telling the story together. Right. You're coming up with it, starting from scratch, from nothing. 
Some will involve maps when you've got battles and stuff going on, but not all will. Generally, with a tabletop RPG, there's one person who is the game master or dungeon master, depending on the system, that is kind of leading everything along. They come up with the the world and some uh, like voices for some of the characters mm-hmm. and what happens. They roll dice to see what happens. Or in a board game, you come with all of the components you need. You're not having to come up with stuff on your own. Mm-hmm. It's just following directions, reading the rules, and doing that. Of course, there are board games with storytelling elements to them. Right. Yeah. Uh, they kind of blur the lines a little sure. bit. It's kind of hard to classify one it's or the other. Cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. That some board games do have that element of some improvisation that you can manipulate it. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was that game you mentioned? Arkham? Arkham Horror. Arkham Horror. Literally, literally horror in the title. Yes. It's a... Uh, uh, boy, now I'm forgetting the person's name. It's inspired by... Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, really just terrifying creatures mm-hmm. that you're trying to keep in the depths of wherever they're coming from. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Before they wreak havoc on Arkham. Right. <laughs> yeah. And actually, you know, that reminds me that I didn't even talk about cooperative games, which because Arkham Horror is cooperative, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if it has. I think it might have a competitive element, but it's generally, I don't honestly know how you could do it by yourself. It's hard enough with with your friends. Fair enough. Yeah, so cooperative games are you and your fellow players are working together against the board. Mm-hmm. And you are trying to either win all together or you all lose together. Mm-hmm. It is a super fun way of doing games. And um, we have a few in our collection. Pandemic is one of them. Mm-hmm. And so you are trying to prevent the spread of a deadly disease. And yes, this game came out long before COVID, mm-hmm. uh, but it was definitely made a little bit more relevant during mm-hmm. COVID time. Um, but they don't have to be like bigger, heavier games to be cooperative. Yeah. Uh, one of my new favorites, again, we have it here. It's called So Clover. And it is a word-based collaborative game mm-hmm. where you have a clover board in front of you. And on the board, there are four corners that you put word cards on. And each word card will have words along all four edges. So you've got, um, this is hard to do over a microphone without showing you in person. <laughs> uh, but basically, at, what's going to happen is you play your word cards out, and then each of the four leaves of the clover will have two words next to each other. Yeah. Without showing the other players, you're going to take those two words, and you're going to write one word on the leaf that combines the two of them together. This is Will Short's favorite game. There's no doubt. (laughs) You might have the words banana and water. Sure. And you might use the word kayak because a kayak is basically a banana and water. I don't know. This is a little out of the box. Okay, cool. Okay. After you write your four things, you take all your cards off the board and it's up to the other players to figure out the correct placement of them on your board. Oh, that's so cool. And they're getting to talk together. It's cool. It's collaborative. You're yeah. working together. So it's not like the first person to do it gets points. No, no, no. You can talk with it with each other and decide together. And there's an extra card thrown in to help throw people off from what's really happening. It is goofy. It is fun. I am a big fan of games with wordplay involved. It's great. Yeah. And if you if you like wordplay, cooperative wordplay games, Codenames Duet oh, yes. is another one that, again, you know, I would say entry-level game that's not a classic game, but, you know, it's not going to take you four hours to play either. And it is very word-based, and you are working with your team, your teammate, um, to 
uh, uncover all of the secret agents before the assassin gets them um, without accidentally uh, running into the assassin or killing innocent bystanders. Um, which Victory. sounds like super high stakes, but the, it's just, it's cards with words on them. It's a five by five grid. Um, and you have to, you know, to yourself, you can't, you know, there's a little bit of secrecy, but you are trying to um, get your teammate to guess mm-hmm. where um, there are, there is a little decoder card to let you know what words you need your teammate to guess. And you're trying to, they have to guess them in an, uh, a set number of terms. Mm-hmm. And so you might have banana and water and say, oh, you know what? I know if I say kayak mm-hmm. one or kayak two, they'll know there are two words that are related to kayak on this board and, and they'll pick them. And then, you know, in one turn, we've found two, we've saved two secret agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it is one of those games um, where if you know the person you're playing with it really well, mm-hmm. inside jokes, the funny thing you just told them this morning um, can really just play into like, semi-obscure clues to anybody else but to your teammate they'll know what you're talking about so there's a lot of creativity and fun that goes into it that's awesome and codenames duet actually has uh i think it's core to the original game i don't think it's an expansion Mm -hmm. a a map that you can after you've played this game one game at a time one game at a time you can start to travel the world saving secret agents and each (laughs) city you go to um, has uh, a variation of the number of turns you get and the number of innocent bystanders you can accidentally kill um, before you've lost the game. Uh, so uh, I am not all the way through the map, but I am working my way through uh, traveling the world, saving secret agents. And that's just, it's basically simple game, really good replay value. That's amazing. There's a lot of games these days that have like, that sort of thing or like achievement sheets with them where you can like oh uh won the game with a score over 200 points and you put a check mark on there or won the game by having five of this type of item in your hand and you Mm -hmm. check it off and Mm -hmm. it's just adding to that wanting to play it again which is super fun yeah fun is one word uh exhilaration is another word i know it's the scenario is you're probably seated at a table and you are static but that it seems exhilarating to be a encountering those stakes and those stories and uh sometimes the maybe the mood if it's literally horror maybe it does have scary aspects to it it's certainly more exhilarating than sorry to keep knocking on sorry but sorry just you know starts to feel kind of repetitive okay all right, all right. there's actual stakes here right but you know after you know demon uh expertly going through all the different yeah. types of games uh it really kind of shows that if you've been playing these classic games like Sorry and Chess mm-hmm. and Clue, you've really set yourself up mm-hmm. to kind of just, yeah. you know, uh, game pun intended, level up to some other games. Heck yeah. Right? And uh, and and so you, it might seem like, oh, it's going to be too much of a learning curve, but give yourself some credit. You've yeah. been playing games like this your whole life, yeah. and there's just a couple new mechanics Maybe they use a different word to describe an action. But um, the more you play some new games, the more you'll realize that the actions you take are more similar and more familiar Mm -hmm. than you would have thought. Mm 
Yeah, I want to plug, uh, bouncing off of that, Everett, the website BoardGameGeek, just BoardGameGeek.com, free website. Um, I personally have my collection on there, and I can track it and add games that I want to buy. But one of the cool features on there is the games are rated on a weight system. And weight in here generally means complexity of sure. the game. So learning a one-value game is going to be a very easy game to learn that doesn't take a lot of time. Well, learning like a 4.5 at the 5-point scale game is probably going to take you a long time to learn. You're probably going to keep the rule book out in front of you, reference it multiple times. But finding that sweet spot where mm-hmm. you've got games that you enjoy playing that are not too overwhelming, maybe pushing it a little further right. um, is always a lot of fun to do. That's what I'm going to try and tell my friends who just want to sit around and, and watch a movie. Some of these games, you can literally feel like you are in your own movie as it's happening. Oh, I've got one that I think does just that, <laughs> which is, and we own this one, which is uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. I have to say, <laughs> if you love reading as a part of your board game experience, oh, yeah. this is the game for you. Um, if you like doing funny voices, while you're playing a game, this is the game for you. Because um, you are not Sherlock yourself. You are uh, sort of, a, you are a consulting detective. Mm-hmm. You are consulting and helping out Sherlock. Um, the goal of the game is to figure out the mystery f- before Sherlock would have. And there's um, a metric in the back for you to know how well you've done. I do not try to make this my goal because I will never <laughs> achieve it. But um it, I mean, it's a board game. I think you would call it that, but the board is a map. Yeah. And then there are there are books. I think you can call them books because there are more than 10 pages. I don't know. <laughs> um, and there are newspapers. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of referring back to itself. It has expansions. Incredible. Um, and it's very immersive. By the end, you kind of feel like you watched a 45-minute TV show because sure. uh, yeah. you have gone from there being a murder to finding out who did it in their motive and probably some other kind of b-plot thing Mm -hmm. that you discovered along the way and it's it's very immersive storytelling um you know not an rp not tabletop rpg you're not Mm -hmm. creating the characters they're already there Mm -hmm. um but you get to you get to imagine what they look like Mm -hmm. there aren't little figurines um there's very few i would illustrations in the books you get to imagine a lot of it Mm -hmm. um and that's something we have here bouncing off of that too there i haven't actually played any of these i just know about them but i hopefully at a convention soon i can try one out uh there are now board games based on the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And so you've got a deck of cards and you have uh, choices at the bottom of each one that will determine where you go next. Uh, I think there's like a danger meter as well that's increasing throughout the game. But that is kind of what Everett was saying, a very narrative-driven game that you're playing together. That's great. I wanted to jump back to Ameritrash. So in my experience as being a freelance music journalist, I've never judged anyone's music taste like i've always come to it as thinking like if you really love that band if you really loved this album it's not my place to say if that album helped you if you achieved some sense of joy from that album i'm not going to judge you for your music taste if the game was fun it was fun for you is that sort of where you're coming from when you think of like meritrash if you had fun with that isn't that the best part? I Something 100% like agree. And that's why I said at the beginning, I don't love the term. Yeah. Um, it, it's not great because it's, sure, maybe for the person who came up with that term, those style of games, not for them. Right. That's fine. You don't like 
a high luck game where you're screwing everybody over, that's fine. Right. But a lot of people do. That's, party games exist for that very reason. Uh, they're meant to be over the top and like have a good time that way. And so there is definitely a time and place for it, and there is definitely a crowd for it. Yeah. Did we anything else that we didn't bring to the table today? Did we leave anything else off the table? <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, I think we've I think we have touched on I think we have mentioned quite a few of our favorites that are currently circulating. Did we not? Are there any that we didn't mention? I have one that I would like to add. Sure. So being a Midwesterner, especially in Michigan, uh, growing up, euchre was a game I played a lot. Well, if you like euchre, <laughs> we have this game in our collection called uh, The Crew, and it is like euchre but collaborative. You are crew members on a spaceship, and your spaceship is breaking down, and you're trying to accomplish tasks to move on to the next location. There are 50 missions that you play through in increasing difficulty, although I will say some of them kind of go up and down a little bit. Um, and essentially, there's four suits of cards. In, uh, in this, they're colored rather than like clubs, hearts, spades, whatever. Uh, and... At the beginning of a round, people will choose, like, I want to take uh, the eight pink card as one of my goals. And I want to take the one blue card as one of my goals. And so if everybody meets their goals working together, then you move on to the next mission. Uh, it is super fun. There's a second edition that came out, uh, The Crew Mission Deep Sea, where it's a new story, you're underwater, there's some new mechanics for how it comes out. I liked it even better than the first one. Uh, but yeah, I, I over over the pandemic, I, I played through all 50 missions with some friends of mine online. It was great. We and had such a blast Is it four it. players or is it kind of... Up to four players, okay. yep. Yep, and, and I would recommend three or four. There is a two-player mode. Okay. It's not the greatest um, because you have to kind of make an artificial AI with the cards, which doesn't work super well. Uh, but with three or four, it is, it's sweet spot. It's wonderful. And it's just like you don't know what cards other people have. So you've got to kind of keep track of what's been played. And like, all right, so if I am trying to collect the eight pink card, I have the eight pink card. And whatever's played first, just like Euchre, is the suit that will lead it. There is no trump. Uh, actually, no, there are rocket cards that are trump over everything. Um, and you just want to make sure that you take the trick that has the number you are trying to get. And yeah, without talking to anybody, you cannot communicate to anybody. Uh, the only thing you communicate is you can use a communication token to show one of the cards in your hand. And it has to either be the only card of that color you have or the highest or lowest of that card you have. So if I have like one, three, eight yellow, I can show my one yellow or I can show my eight yellow. And then people will know, oh, okay, if I show my one yellow, probably the lowest yellow card I have. Sure. Yeah. All right, did you have any closing thoughts? Any other games you wanted to talk about? Anything? Well, um, we do, I think we still have this game, Isle of Cats. Oh, yes. yeah. Um, which, you know, for the cat lovers out there, it's a must. <laughs> Um, for those who like to save cats from a villain, uh, so they can get off, uh, they have to get off this island before the villain gets them. Um, but you have to fit them on a ship. Um, and each player has their own color of cats. Um, they have their own kind of, um, it's not a cat breed, but the, each color has its own name associated with it. 
Um, and it's, yeah, it's just kind of fun. And it's not, I mean, it's a bit like a puzzle game because the cats are not all shaped the same. Um, they, they, uh, so they, how they fit on the ship and where you can place them on the ship, um, can be tricky. And you're trying to get is like all of your cats safely off this island. Yeah, I... I was just going to say, yeah. if you say the title of the game fast enough, you reveal your feelings about cats. I love cats. Yes. Uh, you'll love the board game box even more for that game. If you open up the lid of the box on the bottom of it, uh, you put the lid upside down on your table, and it has a target on it, and it says, uh, set up step number one, place cat here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I have, def- I have definitely seen that in, in board game boxes yep, as it's great. well. Also, yeah, it, it's cat Tetris. I mean, you can't right. go wrong with that. So. Cat Tetris. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also beautiful design. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Ever, have you played the new Flip and Write version of Isle of Cats? I have not. It's Isle of Cats Explore and Draw. And so instead of grabbing tiles, you're drawing them on your ship. It's kind of the same game, but uh, it's card-based system more. And it is a little bit easier to get to the table. Really enjoyable. Nice. Well, folks, come to the Ferndale Library. Uh, we have board games in the adult section and the youth section, and just visit a service desk. Hopefully, find Damon. And please uh, do come yes. tell me your favorite game. Come tell me all about it. And more info in the show notes too about the uh, board game club for middle schoolers. And uh, you're hearing this in time to mark your calendars, uh, parents with middle schoolers. I'm not under any illusions that middle schoolers are listening to this podcast. So check it out. Check it out. It's coming out on uh, June eighth. June eighth. All right. Everett, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Damon, thanks so much. Let's do this again sometime. You've listened to another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. And the music you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by a local musician, John Duffy. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and leave a comment. It would help us find more listeners. And go check out a board game. We'll be back next week with more. <laughs>